On this episode of The Playbook, I have the incredible Jen Fisher, Chief Wellbeing Officer at Deloitte. And we're going to talk about how being well and working well actually can impact your bottom line. Join me for all of this and more to make more money, help more people, and have more fun here on The Playbook. This is Entrepreneur's The Playbook, where each week I bring you some of the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entrepreneurs to talk about their personal and professional playbook to success and what made them champions on the field and in the boardroom. I'm your host, David Meltzer. I have another eclectic entrepreneur. Why do I say eclectic? Because Jen Fisher is the chief well-being officer at all places, Deloitte. And I had to have her on. Welcome, Jen. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, I had to have you on. And you have a, a new book out June this year that is so timely and so important called Work Better Together, How to Cultivate Strong Relationships to Maximize Well-Being and Boost Bottom Line. So I'm going to start with the obvious question that most people have difficulty with is how the heck is well-being connected to bottom lines, uh, especially when you're working for one of the biggest and best firms in the world, Deloitte, who probably when I was a young man would have never said there was any connection between well-being and bottom lines. Yeah, well, uh, that that thinking has certainly and fortunately has changed. Um, but when you think about an organization or any organization that employs human beings, um, if you have a workforce that is not taking care of themselves and doesn't feel empowered or feel like they are in the right culture that you know promotes taking care of themselves and promotes well-being related behaviors and norms, um, you're suboptimizing the bottom line because you have a workforce that is you know showing up that is not well rested, that you know is not fueling their body appropriately with good nutrition, is not getting movement and exercise. All of the things that we think about is, you know, could be under the umbrella of well, you know, you have a, a workforce that is not showing up at their best every single day. But we know that when people are taking care of themselves, um, you know, they show up at work and in life. This is not just about work and work and life aren't separate anymore. They're they're actually kind of sitting on top of each other in the same room for most people these days. <laughs> um, but it's really about you know recognizing that if you employ human beings, you need a workforce that's taking care of themselves because when we are healthy, we are more creative, we're more compassionate, we're more empathetic, we're able to solve more complex problems, we treat each other better. Overall, it's just a better place to be, which which leads to better work, a more loyal workforce, um, you know, better work product, those types of things. And all of those impact the bottom line. Also, you know, when your workers leave your organization, the cost of replacing somebody, you know, we don't often think about that, but the cost of replacing somebody is actually pretty high. And so, um, you know, when, when you have an organization that values relationships and values well-being, you do see um, a, a lower, uh, lower attrition and lower turnover in organization. And all of those things that you described relate to me to, to one thing that's overlooked. You know, I say credibility is always overlooked when people are selling. They think that that's somehow not important where I try to teach. If you're hundred percent credible, you'll never have to worry about anything. You can just tell people what to do and they'll do it. Um, but engagement uh, to me is what comes to mind these days. And I think through all the different data that you probably have more access than I do, 
you know, to have an engaged uh, uh, employment crew or, or group of people that work together, as you talk about, you know, your whole idea of working better together, engagement comes to mind because, you know, the numbers I'm seeing are somewhere between sometimes 80 and 93% of the people that work with us are not engaged. Right. And that leads to people leaving. It leads to people not being productive, efficient, statistically successful, happy, sick. And I mean, the billions of dollars, you know, when you work for someone as large as Deloitte and all of their clientele, it's just an obvious quantitative value to create a well-being program within an organization, whether it's two people or, you know, two million people that you're working with, you know, what are the effects of well-being into the actual engagement in the business? Yeah, so it's a great point. Um, and you know the 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 metric that that I find fascinating, um, you know, for a long time, businesses would track absenteeism. so that you know the number of times people are, you know, calling in sick or not showing up for work. Um, but i I think the more interesting, um, metric when it comes to engagement and productivity is actually presenteeism. And so that is, you know, when the workforce is is actually physically or virtually showing up for work, but essentially not doing very good work or wasting most of the day because they aren't engaged, right? And so, and the cost of that is 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 huge, right? It's actually it's actually a higher cost. Um, to an employer than the cost of absenteeism, right? And so I think that that's a really important metric for for um, organizations to look at. You know how how you measure this um, and how and how you know you know if you're making the right investments. Kind of what is the impact that it is having? You know, it, it's funny that I in in some ways that I work for a bunch of accountants and consultants because. Um, part of the business case for doing this was like, hey, this is culture change and culture change takes a long time. This is not a, you know, a short term sprint, if you will, or a short term investment where we're going to see, you know, huge shifts in, you know, in, in healthcare savings or things like that in a short period of time. You might see blips on the radar, but culture change and behavior change take a long time, right? And so I think that for me, you know, and and I'm I'm a bit of an outlier when it comes to these things is, you know, you actually you start to see it and feel it. You start to see it in the way that people interact with each other. You start to see it in the behaviors of teams. You start to see it in terms of what leaders in the organization celebrate. And so for a long time, you know, the 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 corporate world and still today it exists. I mean, we celebrate the people that pull all nighters, you know, that, that 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 sacrifice their sleep, that sacrifice their family, that sacrifice almost everything in their life to get their job done, right? And so essentially we are, you know, living to work, we're not working to live. <laughs> you know, and so we need to really change that mindset and and what we what we celebrate and what we reward in the workplace to actually start to reward the good behaviors that we want to see, you know, the, the people that are getting enough sleep, the people that are taking breaks during the day, the people that are setting appropriate boundaries, the people that are truly disconnecting when they go on PTO or vacation, right? I mean, how many of us, myself included, 
You know, I used to be the person that told my team, go on vacation, don't worry, you don't need to check your email. But oh, by the way, I'm going to check email when I'm <laughs> when I'm on vacation and told my team pointed it out to me. They're like, yeah, you know, you can't say as a leader, you can't say one thing and do the other because you're confusing us. Right. <laughs> um, and that was a huge wake up call for me. So, you know, look, I think that there, you know, certainly there are, you know, there are financial implications to the bottom line and other ways that you can measure, you know, the impact and the importance of employee well-being. But I would say, first and foremost, you know, we need to bring humanity back into the workplace. We need to start caring for the humans that work for us. The humans that work for us are not computers. They're not robots. And, you know, maybe they can't work 24 hours a day, but they can do other things that computers and robots will never be able to do. And we need to bring that humanity back into the workplace and start celebrating the things that truly make us human. Because, that's, I mean, honestly, what we talk about in the book and the reason that we talk about the importance of, of meaningful relationships at work is because relational well-being is actually a part of well-being that isn't often talked about or thought about when we think of well-being. People think of well-being, they think about, you know, their mental health, their physical health, exercise, nutrition, getting enough sleep, all the things that I've talked about. We don't actually regularly think about the relationships in our life, but you know, there's a actually a long term study from Harvard that's been going on for 83 years on, on, on um, you know, adult um, human longevity. And time and time again, for 83 years, the number of people they studied, the number one thing that comes up in terms of our long term health and happiness is the strength of our personal relationships. And if you think about that in the context of the workplace and the fact that most adults that are working spend the majority of their hours during the week at work or in a virtual workplace. And if we don't have strong relationships at work, then, you know, we, we kind of have missed the point, <laughs> right? Because humans are, we're social creatures. We know that we thrive when we feel socially connected to others. And so those, those connections are critical in the workplace. I want to be clear and say, that doesn't mean that you have to be friends with every single, you have to be best friends with every single person that you work with. That's not possible. We know that. But having a few strong connections in the workplace is critically important. And workplaces really need to promote that and create an environment where people um, want to reach out and be connected with others. Which is so interesting because, you know, on your podcast, Work Well, uh, the podcast series that you have, you know, you deal with each of the thirds of our lives, you know, a third of our lives in activity we get paid for, a third of our lives in activity we don't get paid for, and a third of our lives sleeping, all are non-negotiables to you. All need to have attention and intention put into them and respected, you know, the, the activity you get paid for has to be respected when you are at home and the activity you don't get paid for needs to be respected when you are at quote unquote work. But most importantly, sleep, you and I share uh, a great love for the importance of sleep. I created an unwinding routine. I have an adaptable routine. I have a set routine. Uh, but oh, we got to talk about this. We're yeah, going to have to have an offline conversation. I'm loving it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you ever need a guest on the work well, I am. I have a sleep coach. I tell people all the time, you know, I mentor so many different executives of some of the biggest companies in the world, some of the clients of Deloitte. And, you know, I will ask, so who mentors you, Dave? I said, well, my most important mentor is for a third of my life, which is my sleep coach who is this famous doctor who coaches, you know, the Washington Nationals and the NFL. Uh, but my whole life has changed when I'm able to access and plateau and grow every morning. Um, beyond the sleep, though, 
what other tricks have you discovered from your podcast in in your book and cultivating these relationships that work not activity don't get paid for in sleep i believe sleep is its own relationship with a higher source of of, of relationship uh, but what other tricks have you learned through your podcast and your book that that you'd like to share with us. Yeah, well, I'd love to start by saying that sleep is the foundation for everything, right? And so when we're well rested, we're typically, you know, you know, we people like us better when we're well when we're well rested and we and we like others better, right? Like we relate to people much better when we are feeling well rested and we're feeling good. So start with sleep. I love that. <laughs> but other other things, like I mean, it it, it it's really it comes down to kind of being being intentional about the relationships that you want to develop. If you are co-located and working with people, you know, developing relationships in the workplace can tend to happen a lot easier, but not necessarily because even pre-pandemic when uh, you know when when you know before so many of us went remote and I know that not everybody went remote during the pandemic, but when so, but but pre-pandemic and we talk about this in the book our our connection and reliance and the way that we are using technology. So we have adopted and adopted and adopted technology into every aspect of our life faster than anything in human history, but we haven't adapted to it very well. And so technology is great and I'm not a technology hater, but I mean, how many of you have had the experience where you're in the office and you need something from somebody that is literally 20 feet away, but instead of getting up and walking to their desk, you I am instant message them because it's you know more effective, right? So right there, you know, the technology is kind of getting in our way. Because if you had walked up to them and talked to them and said, like, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? How's your family? How is your weekend? You would have had some other dialogue that would have created connection in that moment. But instead, we choose to rely on our technology. And so the technology isn't bad. We just say that, you know, use technology to really enhance and augment what makes you truly human. So technology can't replace true true face-to-face uh, -face connection, but it can augment it, right? And so I think you have to be intentional, right? And so in a virtual world, carving out that time on your calendar, on other people's calendar, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a meeting, but being intentional about sending somebody a note to say, hey, I just read this article and it made me think of you, or this is what I liked about it, or I'm reading this book and I thought you might enjoy it. Um, you know, Share pieces of yourself with other people because that opens the door and kind of gives them the permission to do the same thing, to reciprocate, and that starts to build connections. Doing that at the beginning of meetings um, is a great practice, um, you know, but there are multiple ways to do this. And it's not about always adding something to people's calendars, right? It can just be things that you do it, it things that you do in the moment. But it, think about if you are working remotely in particular, you know, thinking about replacing some, some of those serendipitous interactions that happened either before a meeting or in the hallway or after a meeting, how can you replicate those in a, in a digital world? And it can be done, but you have to be thoughtful and intentional about it or it won't happen because we're all busy people. <laughs> you know, and there are, and there are multiple things that are constantly, you know, pulling on pulling on us for our attention. And so you have to be thoughtful and intentional about how you do it. And, and that's in everything. I have a mathematical equation of luck, right? <laughs> what we pay attention to and what we give our intention to equals the coincidences in our life. And then everyone thinks you're lucky. 
Um, you know, being the chief well-being officer at Deloitte, a lot of people would think that that was a matter of luck. And even a bigger surprise to me when I saw your title that you actually worked for Deloitte and was the chief well-being officer was that your personal joint journey and the company's journey started a long time ago with this mindset. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I thought for sure when I kind of do my due diligence, I was like, oh yeah, you know, they're just jumping on board in 2020. You know, oh, of course, you know, with the pandemic, everyone's now focusing on the well-being of their employees all of a sudden, because for the first time in our history, everybody's questioning human existence. So it's <laughs> obvious to us that human well-being might be a critical factor in success in bottom line. But I was so inspired uh, by your journey and also more importantly, the commitment that Deloitte had made uh, early before, you know, when I first started talking about these things uh, and everybody kind of laughed at me and called me woo woo. And, you know, all, like, do you really have, you know, the business acumen, David, the, you know, you're talking about, you know, all types of, you know, yoga and, you know, personal commitment to things and 2015, they made you the chief well-being officer at Deloitte. And I just wanted to share that because that's a great vision. And this is a long time ago uh, when it comes to the, the wellness phase. You know, it's cool to be vegan today, but if anybody was vegan even three years ago, uh, you know, they're looking at you a, a little bit, you know, like, why would you do that? Plant-based eating. You know, what was the commitment uh, from Deloitte and was it related to your own personal journey with wellness? Yeah, um, it absolutely was. Um, and so about seven years ago, so 2014, and I've been with Deloitte for 20 years. Um, so I've been here quite a long time, not always, as you said, in a in a wellness or well-being role, but about seven years ago, um, I found myself completely burnt out, which, you know, um, kind of is, you know, what many would think when it comes in, in to- Just so people yeah. know. So you're yeah. a normal senior marketing person uh, at Deloitte. Exactly. And I mean, and, and that was at a time, you know, burnout is, you know, is talked about, I, I hear about it daily now, you know, but that was at a time when people weren't talking about these things. And so I was burning out. I didn't know really what was going on. I knew that there was something going on with me, um, but it wasn't something that was talked about. And and when I looked around in a high performance environment, you know, we're really good at showing up <laughs> regardless of what else is going on in our life. And so I processed it as like, wow, there's something wrong with me. Like I can't, I'm not good enough to be here. I can't cut it for whatever reason. Everybody else be, seems to be able to, to have it together, but but I can't. And so I just kept powering through and pushing through and I didn't say anything and I didn't ask for help until I got to the point where my body said, okay, if you're not gonna do anything, <laughs> we're gonna do it for you. And so I literally got to the point where I couldn't really get out of bed or engage in work or life in any meaningful way. My physical health was struggling. I was struggling with my mental health. I had depression, anxiety. Um, and so I had to take some time off of work and, and get myself well. And in the process of doing that, I became, became very passionate about wanting to help others like understand that this is a real thing <laughs> and that and that we shouldn't sacrifice everything or shouldn't have to sacrifice everything in order to have a meaningful career. We should be able to have a meaningful career as part of an overall thriving life. That role, even though we had great benefits and resources for our people, a role like mine didn't exist at Deloitte. And so I was actually going to resign from the organization. I went back to my leader when I went back to work and I said, 
you know, thank you for giving me the time off for working with me. She was incredibly compassionate and empathetic. I said, but I'm going to leave the organization because this is what I want to do. And we don't have a role like that here. And it was actually her vision. She was the one that said, you're not leaving. Go back to where you came from, <laughs> you know, put together a business case, gather all the data and all the information and put together a business case about around why you think we need this at Deloitte and then meet with various leaders. And I was able to meet with a head of HR and our CEO and some other leaders at the time and basically said, you know, I think we need this year. We're an organization that relies solely on our people to solve our clients most complex problems. And we need people that are taking care of themselves, not people that are burning out. Um, and to my surprise, I got a lot of support. I mean, they understood it and they continue to understand it today, but they understood the connection between high performance and a well workforce. And so I didn't get a lot of pushback at the at the C-suite, you know, the most senior levels, right? And so, you know, in the early days, everything I did, I did was a pilot. <laughs> you know, I didn't go big. I did pilots with people that I knew were friendly and that would give me meaningful feedback, but that would also carry the flag. Right. And that's part of what culture change is. Right. It's kind of creating the awareness and then the education and then kind of advocacy and assimilation and all of those things. And so we followed, you know, that culture change curve. I'm not standing here to tell here today telling you we have it all figured out. We don't because as individuals, our well-being journey is always changing and evolving. And so is so so is Deloitte's. And so to meet the needs of our people, our programs have to always change and evolve. And we are a large organization. So it's hard to get it right 100% of the time, <laughs> but we're committed to it. Um, and, you know, and, and we are seeing the, the really positive impacts that we're having. And you are. And it's just such a blessing that our biggest and best companies in the world are taking this seriously. And I think when you probably went to the C-suite, when they were approached with this idea, they probably thought to themselves, wow, I need this myself. So I know everybody else does as well. well. And that, that's what my leader said to me. She was just kind of like, if you need this, then everybody else needs it. It was just that nobody was talking about it, right? It was still right. that time where people didn't talk about these things. So, Well, I, I'm on a mission to empower over a billion people to be happy on this earth. And uh, your podcast work well, your book work better together, how to cultivate strong relationships to maximize well-being and most importantly for a business, boost bottom lines. I always say well-being and uh, working well lets you make a lot of money to help a lot of people and to be happy and have fun. Uh, and you are proving that uh, from a leadership position at one of the greatest companies in the world, Deloitte. So I appreciate your time and your intention because you are having such an extraordinary impact. So I wanted to thank you and having you here. I'm David Meltzer here with Jen Fisher, the Chief Wellbeing Officer at Deloitte. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Playbook as much as me. On a personal note, I just wanted to thank everyone for making The Playbook such a success. Don't forget to continue it by sharing, subscribing, and listening to your favorite episodes. This is Dave Meltzer with The Playbook.